Today we come to Romans chapter 5. And in this chapter, Paul draws some conclusions from the reality of our justification before God because of what Jesus has done for us in his life and in his death and resurrection. And uh, in the latter half of the chapter, um, he elaborates further on those imputations we talked about yesterday from Romans 4. So let's think about a couple of things here. Let's first think about peace with God. We've been talking a lot of theology over the last few chapters, and to be honest, the theology is going to continue in this chapter. We're reading Romans, for crying out loud. So the theology uh, Paul expounds here is some of the most comforting in the Bible, though. We've been talking about justification for the last few chapters, um, and that's referring to our legal standing before God, and it stays mainly in the realm of guilty or not guilty. Uh, to be justified is to be declared not guilty, and, and secondarily, righteous before God. What Paul does now in this chapter is to introduce some more theological truths that describe some of the realities that are now true because of our justification. We don't get past the first verse of the chapter before we read Paul tell us that because we have been justified by faith, something else has now happened to us. Namely, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Several verses later, Paul will say it slightly differently when he says that, uh, verse 10, 11, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, and we have now received reconciliation. If these truths don't move us at all, and I'm not sure we've ever really <laughs> uh, thought about them very deeply. On the other hand, even if we do have a real grasp of these truths, they are the kind of truths that we'll only fully understand when we see the Lord face to face. I don't think we can even imagine how valuable peace with God is and reconciliation with Him is until we see His awesome holiness with our own eyes. I don't think until that day we will fully give thanks and appreciate the fact that we have been reconciled to Him. And on that day, the depth of our thankfulness will require uh, eternity to express. But secondly, the latter half of the chapter, um, Paul elaborates further on a conversation that we began in the last chapter. In, in, in our discussion of chapter 4, I told you that in the Bible there are three major imputations. If you want to, you can pause this and see if you can remember what they are before I tell you again. Um, but uh, just in case you can't remember them, there are these. One, the first imputation is Adam's sin imputed to us. The second one is our sin imputed to Jesus. And third, Jesus' righteousness imputed to us. And the, the latter half of this chapter, beginning in verse 12, describes more fully here, perhaps, than anywhere else in the Bible, um, the first and third imputations, namely Adam's sin to us and Jesus' righteousness to us. Verse 12 describes Adam's sin being charged to our account because he was our representative. Uh, Paul says, sin came into the world through one man, that man being Adam. Interestingly, in that same verse, Paul says that the consequence of that sin, that is death, spread to all men. Why? His answer is, because all sinned. When did we sin? When Adam sinned. How is that possible? Because Adam was our representative. Adam represented the whole 
human race that would come after him. He was on probation, and whatever he did would impact the whole human race that would come after him. Now, before anybody begins to make accusations of unfairness, they might say, well, how is it fair for me to uh, have the consequences of Adam's sin? Well, just keep reading the chapter and think carefully about what Paul has to say about Jesus' righteousness uh, being freely credited to our account when we trust him. Talk, talk about unfair. I mean, if, is it not just as unfair, using our fallen and sinful reasoning, that we could obtain heaven and eternal life, which we do not deserve entirely because of what someone else has done? Is it fair that Jesus died for my sins? The fact is, Adam represented me and you in the garden. He freely chose to sin. The guilt of that sin, uh, is still rip, uh, rippling down to us. We are born in Adam, but the good news of this chapter is that by faith we can be transferred from one place to another. By birth we are in Adam, but by faith we are now in Christ. Paul says in verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience, namely Adam's, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The reality is we are born guilty before God because of what Adam did. But as we grow older, we add to our guilt because of sins that we actually commit ourselves. Yes, Adam merited guilt, not only for himself but for us as well, but we also merit guilt of our own uh, through our own sinful actions. Consider, though, the other reality. Jesus merited righteousness and eternal life, not only for himself but for everyone who believes. But when we repent and believe, even after that fact, there is no good work that we could ever do to add to our reward. Our condemnation began with Adam's sin, but it is a work in which we are complicit. Our justification and salvation begins and ends with Jesus' work, and it is a work to which we can add nothing. Jesus has truly paid it all. And those are some thoughts from Romans chapter 5.